Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Here you go. Here you go. Hassan Whiteside, you've been Barkley'd. That's the nothing personal word of the day. Barkley'd, what does that mean? It means that Charles Barkley took you to task, Hassan. You signed a $98 million contract over four years with the Miami Heat. You should have sent them a nice thank you letter. They traded you. You're now on the Blazers. And the reason you got Barkley'd is they felt you were not giving an effort during the game, during any game. Is that the first time they've watched you? That's how you generally play. The thing about Charles Barkley is he actually tells it how it is. That's why he's so compelling on television. And people have been Barkley'd who are far better players than you. So what are you going to do about it? What does anyone do after they get Barkley'd? They either continue doing what they've been doing or they try to change because they actually care. Judging by what we've seen about Hassan, great guy off the court, but he doesn't play with maximum effort on the court. So I would say it is more than likely that it's never going to change. So in this case, you've been Barkley'd, and it's going to happen many times again. Well, CC Sabathia did something that should come as no surprise to anyone yesterday. You know, he retired. CC Sabathia, he had his final game as a Yankee. He had bad knees, bad shoulders. He used to be a great pitcher, surefire Hall of Famer. Retired, broke a shoulder, but he did something yesterday that made me so happy. He finally stood up and said what we all know inside the baseball industry to be completely true. He said that any player will go any place for money. Now, he didn't exactly say it like that, but I'm going to translate for you. He was talking about Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, the free agent you know from the Houston Astros, is no longer an Astro. You remember he had the Scott Boris hat on when he was being interviewed after the loss in Game 7? So what happened very simply is CC Sabathia wants him to come play for the Yankees. Why not? Giancarlo Stanton, happy birthday, Giancarlo. Today's his birthday. Giancarlo Stanton also said he'd love to have Strasburg, love to have Cole. Who wouldn't love to have these players? But Cole said he wants to go west of the Mississippi, closer to home. So Sabathia said to him in a conversation that I'm sure was not private or thought it was going to be private by Cole, he said, listen, Garrett, I think you should go to the Yankees, and here's why. They're going to offer you more money than anyone else. And if they do, that would make sense. Well, in Major League Baseball, that's been the story for years and years and years. And I should know because when we tried to sign free agents, there was a lot of narrative out there. Who would ever play in the Miami for the Miami Marlins or the Florida Marlins? And my answer to the media was always the same. I would scream at the top of my lungs, Of course, a free agent will come here. All we have to do is offer one more dollar than any other team. 
And that's not collusion. That's actually just giving in to what an agent wants. So if an agent comes to you and says we want three-year deal, when you really know it should only be a two-year deal, and you know that no team is gonna value the player to three-year deal, and still you give three years, that's how you get a player to play in Florida. So if you want Garrett Cole to play on the East Coast, it's not a big deal. There are private planes, they go back and forth. It's a five-hour flight time. It's not really a big deal. But the Yankees always have problems in this regard because they don't want to overspend. They don't want to have that reputation as the team that is constantly moving the free agent market. They did that for decades, really. And now they've sort of changed, and now they trade for contracts that are a little out of market. They try not to sign them. So in this case, they're going to have to go to an eighth year to get Garrett Cole, and the Yankees have not been doing that, nor should they do it. It'll be very interesting to see where he goes. We'll have many more thoughts on that on CBS Sports HQ and certainly on this show, Nothing Personal. So Garrett Cole, listen to CC. Uh, there are some big changes we have to talk about. This is major. Uh, the Houston Astros, I I've talked about it. I, I had some issues on Twitter with this, with people not understanding my point. So let me give you the backstory. The backstory is that what happened during the playoffs in Houston and during the World Series is absolutely inexcusable. They had to fire their assistant general manager. You've heard the story. This is a man who, in the winning locker room after a playoff series, yelled toward a bunch of women reporters how happy he was to have gotten a player named Roberto Osuna, who had served a suspension under the domestic violence policy in Major League Baseball. So the Astros gave a statement saying that the Sports Illustrated writer was incorrect and that it never happened. Then they changed their mind, said, I'm sorry it happened. The apology was less than adequate. The assistant GM got fired. MLB said, we're not done with the Astros. This is the key part of the new story. MLB said, we're not done with you. Jim Crane yesterday took the first sort of shot toward any possibility of trying to settle things with baseball. Here's what he did, here's what he said, because it's two different things. The first thing he did is he fired his team president, who was Nolan Ryan's son, a man named Reed Ryan. The president had been with the team since 2013. But instead of firing him the way I got fired, where you pack your bags and you give, you give in your parking pass and your key card and you never are invited back and you're totally erased from the history of that franchise, instead of that, Jim Crane offered Reed Ryan a new title. And I want to get it right, executive advisor of business relations. Well, I've been in the business world for 30 years. I've never heard that title, but I like it. It means that he's getting paid for doing nothing. Thumbs up, Reed, but it also means that you were forced out. Now, Jim Crane is saying that he's doing it as part of what's called the succession plan. Yes, he watched the HBO show as well, and he thought, I better name a successor. So he named his son Jared. Without a TV show, no episodes, no binging. He said his 36-year-old son is going to be his successor, which is very normal in baseball. It's very many of them are family-run businesses, including the one I was in. Totally normal, totally fine. I have zero issue with that. Whether Jared is capable, time will tell. But they've been grooming him. He's 36 years old, and he's going to start slowly sort of getting involved with the business operations. And that's the reason why the team president's gone was because he named a successor but isn't calling him the team president. Those don't match. And the other reason you know there's an issue is Reed Ryan's father is someone who some of you may have heard of, heard of, Nolan Ryan. Yes, Nolan Ryan, the one who would always sit behind the plate. He of the many no-hitters was a special advisor in the Houston Astros organization. 
and he is not coming back. And Jim Crane gave a quote saying his contract was up in February. I figured we'd discuss it then, but now I know that for sure he's not coming back. Well, why would Nolan Ryan choose not to return unless he maybe chose family over organization? Maybe Reed Ryan did not volunteer to have his title changed from president, wait for it, to executive advisor business relations. Now, some people in the Twitterverse had been talking about, you can follow me at David P. Sampson, and you can watch all this unfold and look for the next ratio. Some people said, Reed Ryan was not involved in baseball operations. How does this handle what took what happened during the World Series? It's all part of how the Astros are going to have to deal with Major League Baseball. There has to be accountability. And what Jim Crane will say is we're making changes in the front office. And if you think that Reed Ryan was not involved on the baseball side, you're incorrect. His title said President Business Operations, but I assure you, he was involved. Nolan Ryan was involved. Jeff Lunau is the president of baseball operations, but baseball business, they work together no matter who reports to who and what it says in the reporting structure. How many of you work in a company with a reporting structure that isn't exactly exact as to who you report to and the dotted lines and the block lines and the solid lines? That happens in every single baseball organization. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not that's enough of a pound of flesh for MLB. Because if Reed Ryan is the only Shylock, then I think the Astros got away scot-free. Well, we had another uh, another load management issue, but this one's funny. Uh, did you see that Steve Ballmer, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, was fined $50,000 by the NBA because there were comments made that were inconsistent with Kawhi Leonard's comments and other comments about the health of Kawhi Leonard and this whole load management stuff. One minute on load management for everyone, it's ridiculous. If you're a LeBron James, you don't need load management. If you're Gian, if you're Giannis, you don't need load management. You don't want load management. If I'm a partner of the NBA and I'm paying to have games on TV or I'm a paying season ticket holder, if you're gonna have load management, let me know in advance. I know I don't buy a ticket, and it's possible that the star of my baseball team, it's possible, will not play. So you're right. I miss four at-bats and maybe three defensive opportunities in the outfield. When a basketball star doesn't play, it's an entirely different story. It changes the entire competitive nature of that team. And it's all done simply because they want to have him fresh in June for the playoffs. Well, here's a newsflash. Your season's too long if that's happening. So what the NBA does, because they've got to show their business partners, they've got to show their TV partners that they're in control of the narrative. So they're always finding the billionaire owners sums of money. It's like telling Steve Ballmer, hey, you're worth $53 billion. We're finding you 50000 Well, let's pretend you're an average American. Well, no, let's pretend that you've got a total of $10,000 to your name. Total. Well, here's what that fine would be to you. A Lincoln, a Lincoln, yes. No, no, not that Lincoln, a penny. That's the full fine. To Steve Ballmer, that fine was less than one penny. It was found behind his sofa couch pillow. He reached down, he got a basket of fuzz and an old penny, and then he turned it into $50,000 and gave it to the league. Do you think that these billionaires care about fines that size? Do you think that, that any of the TV partners think that that's a legitimate fine? 
Well, they don't, and it's not. The NBA has a big problem on its hands. They need to be taken seriously by both their TV partners, but they also need to be taken seriously by the owners and by the players. We had a terrible time in baseball finding players. Under the collective bargain agreement, we were only allowed to find players $500 for like a uniform violation. I had players come up to me, pull their uniform out, and say, just take $500 out of my meal money. And again tomorrow. And then again tomorrow. It didn't make one bit of difference. The cheapest MLB players making $500,000 a year. A $500 fine. Think about the math. So what we have to do in sports and what I would be a huge proponent of and what I tried to work on when I was with the team is I want fines to matter. I want them to discourage behavior that we're trying to eliminate. And the way to do it is to a billionaire, you make a fine that starts with an M as in millions. That will stop owners from not paying attention to what you want to do. You want to talk to a player who's breaking rules, you fine him by game. That's how I would treat it. No more of these penny fines. It's penny ante, and it's not enough. Tiger Woods, to no surprise. Breaking news we have here on Nothing Personal. Uh, Tiger Woods chose himself to play in the President's Cup team. So the President's Cup is a golf tournament that's one rung below the Ryder Cup, and I was lucky enough to go to the Ryder Cup in uh, Paris last summer. And the thing about the Ryder Cup and any golf tournament, I, I don't understand. You pay money and you have to be quiet the whole time, right? Golfers need silence. Remember there was a, uh, I think there was a Korean golfer who was suspended three years for yelling at, at a fan who was taking a picture. Something crazy like that happened. But like tennis, golf it needs to be quiet. I don't get why. Maybe it's for TV. I don't know. So Tiger Woods... <clears throat> He's the captain, and for the first time since 1994, a guy named Hale Irwin, he named himself a player. So he's a player coach. That's pretty common. Bill Russell was a player coach. There have been plenty of baseball players who were managers and players. It's not a big deal to me. The question is, was Tiger Woods worthy of being on this team? And he answered himself, and he said, I'm the captain because, and I named myself to play as the captain because I think that I'm one of the top players in the game because I just won the last tournament in Japan. Now, his master's win was a great win, but it was too long ago, and he was hurt, and his body's fallen apart, and he had a terrible performance after that. But he won one tournament, so he named himself. My question is, is there another incentive? What could be another reason that Tiger Woods would want to play and not just be on the sidelines as a captain? Hold on, I'm thinking, oh, oh yeah, money. Money. TV partners. You've got Golf Channel, you've got NBC. Doesn't matter that it's in Australia. Doesn't matter it'll never be live. Everything is about streaming. Everything's about digital. Hello, CBS Sports HQ. Everything is about the fact that you content is king. When Tiger Woods plays in a tournament, it generates interest, which generates money, which makes people richer. That is why decisions are made. Tiger Woods may not be the right person to play, but there was no chance, zero chance, that he would not be allowed to be on that team. A team that I would never want to be a part of is uh, the Nike running team. Now, I like Nike. Uh, they make me run faster. No, they don't. They make me run better. No. They make me sweat less. No. They're just Nike. I like it. Why is it that there's a situation going on that 
Alberto Salazar is basically suspended for four years from his job running the Nike women's team. And why was there an article in the New York Times about Mary Kane, who is a Nike athlete, who opens up and said that she was both physically and mentally abused as part of the team? And why is she coming forward just now? It shows how difficult it is for anyone to come forward against a corporate behemoth like Nike. The courage that it takes is hard to fathom. I can't fathom it. But I want to tell you what she said and why she said it. So it, to be on this team, you're basically a phenom, right? This is not sort of an enter and pay money and then you get to be on a team. It's not a fantasy camp. It's not for people who think they're good at running. It's not for people who can qualify for the Boston Marathon or for the Hawaii Ironman. This is for the top of the top of the top who have a plan and a possibility of being elite, elite, elite. This is extraordinary ability that is brought into this shop. Turns out it was a sweatshop brought into this shop in order to maximize the talent and the opportunity to make money for Nike. So how does that work exactly? Well, it's the same reason why all the professional soccer teams over in Europe have academies in their cities. They pay for those academies because they're breeding players, because they're trying to find superstars, because they make money with superstars. There's no way the soccer team or any team does youth academies because it's good for the community. Trust me, I did a lot on behalf of the sports team. I loved helping the community. There was always an ulterior motive. No one does community service just for doing community service when you're running a big company. They'll say they do, and trust me, I love helping the community. I love it. But when you are doing something like developing players, that's not handing out turkeys at Thanksgiving. That is a self-serving community situation when you're doing an academy. So Nike, in a purely self-serving way, has these athletes, and they basically are like academies. But the problem is that they were shaming these women into eating less and less, to becoming thinner and thinner, thinking that that would help them run faster and faster. As you know, if you look at the runners, the elite runners, it, you know, very few of them look like the Michelin Man, right? Or the Pillsbury Doughboy. Now, you can be a Sunday runner and look like that, and I love it, that's great. Thank you for not just eating quarter pounders. But my point is, if you're gonna be elite, there's a certain body type. So therefore, they're trying to create that body type. And they did it in ways that Mary and now everyone who reads them would say, is the juice really worth the squeeze? Is it really worth it for someone to go through what she has to go through, being the subject of that level of abuse just to become a world-class athlete? And basically, your life crumbles around you. And the problem is, nine out of 10 times, the athletes don't become world-class, don't make the money. They become simply child phenoms or teenage phenoms, or young adult phenoms who never make it to be an actual paid phenom. That's the thing. Think about this with child actors, right? They become stars, they get paid, and then they end up nine out of 10 times totally screwed up in life with mug shots, all their money's been stolen, and they have drug problems. Am I am I, I'm not exaggerating, but am I being general? Of course I am. It's not everyone, it's just almost everyone, so it seems like it's everyone. So that's what happens, and I did it too in baseball. We all do it. We're all signing 16-year-olds in the Dominican Republic. Right now, the Marlins have this great program where they're teaching them all English and teaching them all Spanish and giving them a degree on how to live and teaching them how to farm and how to exist outside baseball. I think it's great what they're doing, but are they following up years later after they've gotten rid of the player? Of course they're not, and they say they are, but they're not. You can't. There's too many players. 
There's too many athletes who you need to try to train in order to get the elite athletes. And that's the same that Nike does. You're not going to just put your bet on one person, right? You create an entire academy, and then the best of the best end up being your spokesman, and you end up making your money, and the others disappear. Think Nike cares about Mary Kane? No, of course not. But now they do. Now they're into a position where they've had to respond. So how do companies respond when they're accused of abuse? You know, say it in my ear. That's right. You start an investigation. That's page one of the playbook when you've been accused of something. We will internally investigate. We will get to the bottom of exactly what happened. We never heard anything like this before. It's completely unacceptable. We will not permit this to continue. It makes me laugh because that's what every company says. But what Nike needs to do is say, how is it possible that we would not know exactly what goes on? So I'm the president of the Marlins. I don't know exactly what goes on in the Dominican Republic. I don't know how good the quality of food is. I've been down there, but when I'm down there, I feel like I was treated specially. So therefore, I have to count on the people on the ground, the people there, to tell me when things are bad. That's called yearly during capital fund request time, when the people come to the president and say, listen, I need more money for better food. How come? Then the stories come out. So in Nike's case, there's budgets. There's an entire program. I don't expect the CEO of Nike, who has stepped down, by the by, I don't expect the CEO of Nike to know exactly what goes on in the academy or what kind of job Salazar is doing or whether or not there's abuse of those kids, but it's his job to have the people under him who know and who tell him. That's why he's at fault. And I recognize as the president of a team that I am in charge of everybody. And it's my butt if there is something going on below me. Because at the end of the day, the buck stops with me. I can't just be there for the glory when we win titles. I've got to be there all the time. So I count on everyone under me who I work with to give me information. Nike is guilty of having that not happen, as are many, many companies where the team president or the owner or the president CEO of a company has too many big things to think about or worry about, so they just tend to ignore or tend to not have it on their radar until now. Believe me, this is on Nike's radar. There's gonna be some changes at Nike, and what I hope is that the changes at Nike bring about changes for child stars, for child athletes, where we treat every child differently and recognize, hey, we're using them. Yes, we are. But let's make sure that they know it in advance. I read today, this could be it. This is the number one. Is it possible that Deion Sanders could be the next head coach at FSU? <laughs> it's too good to be true, right? They fired Willie Taggart. Here's how the phone calls go. The athletic department, probably the AD himself of Florida State, picks up the phone and he calls a booster. He says, listen, here's my issue. We need to fire Willie Taggart because we stink. So we need to raise money from you. We got to get that $17 million buyout. Who would you think would be a good coach? You tell me. And every single booster and fan would say, oh my God, Deion Sanders? Does that mean I get to spend time with him? Will I get to meet prime time? They don't know whether he'd be a good coach or not. They just want to be jock sniffers, which is generally what boosters are to begin with, which is totally fine. But my job as an athletic director is not to allow boosters to choose coaching staffs. Can't happen. Deion Sanders, is he possibly qualified? 
What has he done? This is not like baseball where we're bringing in someone to be a manager who's never managed. Being a football coach involves recruiting at the college level. It involves playbooks. It involves a whole lot more. I've always said that being an NFL or a college football coach are the two single hardest jobs that there are. No question. And I love my MLB managers, all 50 I've had, but it's just a different type of job than what NFL or college football has to do. And I'm not saying Deion Sanders is qualified or not qualified. I've never met Deion Sanders. What I'm saying is he better prove that he wants to and can be a coach because generally celebrity coaches, they don't work out. So if FSU goes the Deion Sanders route, no, it's for two reasons. One, they did it because they were able to raise more money by having a coach like Deion Sanders. And two, look for Deion Sanders not to last there more than three years. Take the under. It'll be under three years. He'll get tired of the actual job schlepping everywhere, going into kids' living rooms and going to high schools, trying to find kids. That's just not for Dion. Practice, practice, and I'm practice. Of course, that wasn't Dion, but it's still funny. Uh, Chase Young got suspended. Tell you how hard it is to be an NCAA athlete? It's not about, to me, it's... It, it's not about getting paid or not getting paid. That's an issue that's being taken care of right now. It's going to end up in the uh, U.S. government, not by the states. There's going to be a rule put in place, and it's going to be complicated, and there's going to be violations of the rule. There's going to be unintended consequences of the rule where players can get paid for their NIL, name, image, likeness. But the problem is when college players don't get paid, it leads to problems like happened with Young. So here's his story that he's sticking to. And I believe him completely, but that's not what this story is about. Chase Young apparently said that he got a loan, and I want to make sure I have it right. He got a loan from a family friend for living expenses that he then paid back in full. But under the rule, that would call be called an extra benefit. And NCAA rules prohibit student athletes from receiving extra benefits. An extra benefit is any special arrangement provided to a prospective or current student athlete or his or her family that is not generally available to every Ohio State student. Let's break that down. If the person who gave Young a loan had volunteered to give the same level of loan money to every single student at Ohio State, then he would not have been in violation of the NCAA rules. So all the guy had to do was put out a mass email saying, I'm giving out $100 bills. Just be on campus at 420 on the 20th of April, and you will all get $100 from me. If, if he did that, then Young is in the clear. Now, Young needed the money because he had benefits, and I guess he then got a job and was able to pay it back. Query how he got the money to pay it back so quickly. He could have just gotten the same job earlier. Maybe the job didn't come till later. Who knows what the actual story is? But the real story is, is this the right rule? Does this make sense? And then the Ohio State University suspended him for the game this week because they're investigating this to see whether it could be an NCAA violation. And they want to be able to show the NCAA that they're taking it very seriously. And so they preemptively suspended Young, not waiting for the NCAA. So if the NCAA comes back and says, hey, it was all fine, totally kosher, then he, he missed a game for no reason. Maybe it's load management in college football. 
But whatever it is, it seems like a rule that has to change. If you've got athletes who have an opportunity to help your team and help your school, you gotta find a way that they can live, right? So if the loan is to buy an extra set of speakers or to buy headphones or to go on a trip to Europe, then I understand that that would not be appropriate. If it's to live in school housing or to do something uh, that you need to do, that everybody needs to do, I think they have to be allowed to get loans. The rule in Ohio State was interesting to me about making it generally available to all students. I was obviously making a joke about a loan being available on April 20th. If you understood the joke at 420, then you're with me and I'm smiling. But that just shows that the NCAA is so out of touch. Rules are gonna change, except it's gonna come from upstairs government, not downstairs. Ah. AC Milan did something that was very interesting. So we've talked about what streaming is. If you're watching this now, you're watching this likely on a streaming network. And CBS Sports HQ, where I also work, this is on HQ in the beginning of the show, is a streaming network. You've heard the term cord cutting. You've heard over the top. And you've heard the fact that none of your kids and you probably don't have cable television anymore. And you've heard of the fact that now when you turn on your smart TV, your TV is really just your computer. So kids these days, when they go to school or when they move into apartments or even in their rooms at home, they don't need a TV anymore, just like they don't need a home telephone. All they have is their laptop. And with their laptop, they, that serves as a TV, computer, everything else. But what AC Milan did here is they cut a streaming deal with DAZN. DAZN is a company that has made a lot of strides in Europe and in Asia. They show mostly boxing here in the United States, but they've done a recent deal with Major League Baseball. They did a streaming deal. MLB sold the digital streaming rights to DAZN as part of a huge package. And what fascinates me is whether or not they realize just how big streaming is going to be. I'm talking about MLB because streaming is everything. It's going to be bigger than the actual regular TV package soon enough. So AC Milan did something to take advantage of the players. Well, that makes sense, right? Why wouldn't they? What are they doing? They are selling all sorts of ancillary programming around their players to that streaming network in order for them to have content. So pregame speeches, things that the players are doing on off days, there'll be shows, postgame shows, anything not related to the actual match, which is a totally separate TV deal. But now if you're a fan of AC Milan, you can basically be a forever engaged fan. And fan engagement is what we dream about in professional sports. It's all we want. And why do we want fan engagement? We want more ways to get your money. That's what fan engagement means. What is the easiest way and the cheapest way to get as much money out of your pocket into our pocket? That's what every team does. They'll all deny it, but I assure you, that's what they sit and think about. Because the more money that's in our pocket, the more the franchise is worth and the more money we make on the asset as well. So it's all about taking money from you. Now, you're gonna say to me as a listener or a viewer, I don't pay for TV rights. I just watch TV. Yes, you do. Take a look at your bill next time. Take a look at what subscriptions you pay. You are paying. Multiply yourself by millions and that's how much revenue goes to these companies. Anytime you think that you have a free subscription to something, it's never free. If there's only free, if it's free to you, it's still not because then it's run by advertising. Guess what the advertisers do? 
They pay money to the network. Guess how they get the money? They increase the prices of their product that you're buying. So I guess it's true that you'd pay for nothing if you live in the middle of nowhere, completely off the grid, don't use any products, and don't watch anything or listen to anything. By definition, if you're with me right now, you're not one of those people. Therefore, you are helping us. And I'm totally fine with it because you want content. You cry for the content. You cannot get enough of binging shows, of finding out the inside of what goes on in sports, what players are doing on their off day. You want players on Instagram showing pictures. It's it's the Kardashian theory. Everyone wants to live vicariously through these athletes, so of course they're gonna take advantage of it. Of course they're gonna do more reality TV show programming. Why do you think there's so much more unscripted shows in both sports and entertainment? They're way cheaper to produce and they make way more money. So AC Milan said, we, we own these players. We are gonna find a way to get more money out of it. And they cut deals both with the players and with the streaming services. And before you know it, you've got a ton of brand new programming. How does this end, you ask? Well, when content is king and money's gonna win, you know it's gonna spread like wildfire. And it will spread to the United States. And we've tried it here, but unsuccessfully, but now it's starting. You're gonna see programming done on these networks with these teams constantly. Pure engagement in the next collective bargain agreement in Major League Baseball and in the NFL and in the NBA, you are gonna see an unprecedented level of rules and regulations as it relates to the creation of player content. Who owns it? How does it get disseminated? It's not just about NIL like it is in college. In the NBA and in the other major professional leagues, it's a very large collectively bargained issue. Over in the Premier League, over the other soccer leagues in Europe, they figured out a way to monetize it, and it's coming, so get ready. Oh, last night I had a great night. I mean, how could you not have a great night when you get to see Elvis Costello in concert? Elvis Costello played at the uh, in Broward at the O'Ren Theater, and you walk in, it's a 5,500-seat theater. I'm used to seeing Elvis Costello in much bigger venues, but I started off watching him in much smaller venues. I started seeing him back when I was in high school. Yes, he's 65 years old, but he is not like Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. He's actually alive, so it's not like Keith Richards or Mick Jagger, who you're pretty sure are just stuffed and on stage. This is more like Springsteen. This is totally active and unbelievable show. So Elvis Costello, the best part is <clears throat> the concert starts at eight. He actually comes on at 8.05. How different is that? Not waiting an hour and a half. Why? Because the entire audience was the single most homogenous audience of any concert I've ever been to. The demographics were shocking. I was maybe the youngest person in the theater, and I'm not that young. Why don't younger people like Elvis Costello? Because he does not sing current songs, is what I would say. He's releasing songs, but he's not appealing to the masses. So all I kept thinking about is relating this to baseball. I'm in the concert, I'm listening to him sing songs, and I'm thinking about how happy I am hearing these songs. And then I realized that every single person in that concert is gonna die soon. And then Elvis will have no one to play to because then he'll be dead, and that's the end. So how is it that sports cannot try to get younger? Wait, yes, 
That's why every league is doing everything it can to get younger and younger fans. We've talked about it before on this show. Go to past episodes, subscribe, rate, review, please. Thank you. If your league demographics are getting older, that's a bad plan. You need them to get younger. Elvis Costello can't do anything about getting younger. He has no chance to get younger. Baseball does, football does, basketball does. So I go to the show and I leave it. It's over by 9.30, 9.45, an incredible show. He, he played every song I could have wanted him to play. And then I went and uh, I, was, I went to a bar after because I wanted to be around people who were my age or younger. And I ran into Dave and Allie at Yolo, a restaurant on Las Olas. And I realized that everything is right and good in the world. They had no idea who Elvis Costello was. They didn't care. It was a random Thursday night and they were far more interested in baseball and in sports and in life and in entertainment. And I realized that there's a chance that we can get it right in the business world. And so I ended up speaking to, to both Dave and Allie about this that we have a chance to get it right. And all you have to do is stop listening to all of the older people who run these teams and all the older people who run these leagues. Hire younger people. Am I pricing myself out of a job? Not this job. I'm pricing myself out of running a team because I don't want to run a team because there's younger people who can do it better than I can now. Why recycle the same people over and over and watch them get older? You have to have people who know what LOL means. Thank you. Elvis. Thank you, Elvis, is what I meant, because I'm incredibly appreciative that he still takes the time. Something else happened. Uh, I'm trying to think about the best way to say this, because it's going to create a bit of strife. And I don't want to do that, because it's a Friday, and, I, and I'm concerned a little bit about people misunderstanding what I'm saying. Australia did something that should have been done a long time ago in the US and it has not been done yet. But what they've decided to do is they have cleaned up the gender gap payment issue with their soccer organization. You remember the story, the women's national team was underpaid and they were complaining saying, we're a great team and you're not giving us the money we deserve. Well, Australia was the same situation and they fixed it. It sounds great. Everyone is celebrating, except for the fact that you didn't read the fine print. So let me tell you what they did in Australia, and then you're going to say to me, how could we not do this in the United States? What stops this from happening with the women's team in the U.S.? It's inexplicable to me, inexcusable to me. So I read that Australia was, was, was going to have the same pay gap, and here's what they actually did. Men and women now will get the same percentage of FIFA-generated revenue. Men and women will get the same percentage of FIFA-generated revenue. Fine print. The men whose team stinks in Australia generate $440 million of revenue. The women who compete in the World Cup and make it to the round of 16 who are very competitive and very good, the women generate $60 million of FIFA-generated income. What Australia did is they said, listen, the men and women can each get 24% of FIFA-generated revenue. The women were way below the men in terms of the percent. So they didn't equal the money, they equaled the percent. And that's what I've been saying is the real issue. 
Of course, men, women, they're not going to get the same. It has nothing to do with being a man or a woman. That's what people go crazy about. They assume it's a woman's issue. This is not a woman's issue or a men's issue. It's a money issue. It's a business issue. Hey, women's soccer team, you want to make as much as the men's soccer team in actual dollars? Sign a TV contract. That's the same value. Have the same ticket prices at the World Cup venue events. Have the same amount of shirts sold, jerseys, soccer balls, other items. You can't expect to get paid the same amount if you're not generating the same revenue. It's never going to happen. So the best way to deal with it is you make the percentages equal. I love that. But I don't think it's going to make the women in America happy because I think what the soccer team was saying is they want equal pay. Equal pay is different than equal percentage of a different size pot. But think about a company for anybody who's in sales. Why, why should you make the same amount as someone who sells more than you do? You may get the same commission percentage, but not have the same take-home money. Are you going to go to your boss and complain that you don't make as much as the person next to you who generates more revenue for the company, who sells more, therefore he makes more money? And you say, hey, I deserve to be the same, to be paid the same as my guy next to me. No, you don't. By definition, you don't. The way to make more money is to make more money for your boss. Make more money for the people above you who need to generate more money for the people above them, eventually to the owner of the company, whether the owner are stockholders or an individual in a private company. So Australia got something right. I think the U.S. needs to focus on this issue, but I think we need to frame it better. And the way to frame it is with honesty. You cannot have people paid equally who are not generating equal amounts of revenue. That's never going to change. Drives me absolutely crazy. I have a pick of the day I want to go through with you. It's a, uh, I have not been losing my picks of the day. Have you, have you guys been betting on that? I hope. Last night we had the Raiders. We took care of them. We did that. Tonight there's a line problem. I, 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 I didn't hear from Coke. I assume the line has changed. I can't understand why Dallas would be favored by 11 points over the Knicks. Coke, will you check to see if the line is still 11? I'd be surprised if it is. It should have moved. Um, Dallas is, are they that much better than the Knicks by 11 points? Well, I've been watching the Knicks play in Dallas for years, like years. It's a totally different team right now, but the Knicks are maybe one in five. They've won one game. They're on the bottom of the absolute NBA. So this line is overinflated. I would take the points, and I think you're going to get yourself a double winner two days in a row if you took the Raiders last night. So that's my pick, Knicks over Dallas. Okay, wait to see another segment that we do every single show, and I have to get back to you when I get things right, and I have to get back to you when I get things wrong. So the wait to see yesterday was about the Silver Slugger Awards, and I got one right, one wrong. Pete Alonzo was not awarded a Silver Slugger. I thought he would be. Freddie Freeman got it instead. Very well deserving. I thought Alonzo had a slightly better year, but Freeman's team had, did a better job, and Freddie Freeman is known as one of the great guys in baseball, and Freddie Freeman has never won a Silver Slugger. And they thought Pete Alonzo was going to win something else called Rookie of the Year, so they didn't need to give him both. I disagreed. I thought he'd get both. I got half right, Alex Bregman. I figured he'd win the Silver Slugger, and he did, and I figured he will not win anything else, which he won't. We'll find out next week about the AL MVP. So half right, half wrong. So what are we talking about today in the wait to see? We're talking about my friend Cole Hamels. Remember Cole Hamels? 
Yeah, he was good a decade ago in Philadelphia. Started off well this season and finished horribly. And he did what comes from page four of the player handbook when you're going into free agency and you know you stink. And you know you're done and you know that your arm is falling off and that there's no chance you'll ever be productive again. Cole Hamels came out publicly and said, I would be willing to look at a one-year contract. (laughs) I love when players do that. The reason why I'd be willing to look at a one-year contract, Cole, that's all you're going to get. Do you think that you're unwilling to look at a two-year or multi-year deal, a three-year deal? No, no, I'm unwilling. I don't want to do it. I'm like Trevor Bauer, the MLB player who said I'll only sign one-year deals. Really, Trevor? Really? Well, Cole Hamels, here's a way to see, Cole. You're only going to get a one-year deal because that's what you're worthy of. That's the only thing that there's a chance of you ever getting. Wait to see on that one. Absolutely, we'll end this show by telling you that uh, a lot of changes coming in baseball. Uh, pitching coaches are the last thing I want you to think about. And the reason I save this for last is that everyone in baseball is trying to outsmart everyone else. Right? Moneyball started that. The A's thought they had something that was way smarter, so they had an advantage. But then everyone did it, so now there's no advantage. Defensive shifting. When one team does it, it's a huge advantage. When all 30 teams do it, not such a big advantage. Well, it started in baseball on the coaching side. It used to be a huge advantage with teams with money to hire these out-of-the-box hires. Pitching coaches who had only been gurus in high school. Pitching coaches who had no experience in Major League Baseball at any level. Bringing people up to the big league level thinking that they can do something in the minds of these pitchers. So the Yankees have gone ahead and hired a new pitching coach that no one's ever heard of. The old pitching coach for the Yankees has gone to the Padres, Larry Rothschild, under the thought process that an old school pitching coach may be more attractive in the Padres organization versus a new school pitching coach that the Yankees have and other teams have had who have now gotten rid of the majority of them after one year because it turns out that old school pitching coaches don't work as well. They work better than the new school pitching coaches. My advice to everyone out there hiring, Just because they're different and it's never been done doesn't mean it's going to be better. And like everything else we talk about this show, I'm saying it not about you, Blake, because it's just business. It's nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.